Have you ever noticed that the lower jaw is not protected in sports? Did you know that 10,800 concussions will happen today? This has been an upward trend for the past 50 years. I'm Dr. Michael Hutchison, a practicing neuromuscular dentist. When my son wanted to participate in football and rugby, I was afraid he was going to get a concussion. That fear led me to finding the missing link to reducing concussions. The fact is, the only part of the skull that is not protected in sports is the lower jaw. If you want to drastically reduce concussions, there are three basic jaw positions that affect concussions and two of them are not good. The correct one is called physiologic jaw position. It will dissipate the force away from the brain. Knowing that, I designed an appliance that put my son's jaw in the right place and as a result, he was concussion-free from fifth grade all the way to senior year. This job position takes those 10,800 concussions today down to 28. It's the key to concussion protection. As a parent, this is what you need to know. It's extremely important that the device you are using is on the lower jaw. Thickness of the device is important. Most importantly, it must position and hold you in your own unique personal physiologic jaw position. So if your child goes out on the field with the correct jaw position, your son or daughter will not one of those 10,800 concussions today. Get yours today at powerplusmouthguard.com. Use the promo code POWERUP2023 for 10% off. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the podcast on multiple streaming providers such as Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, subscribe to the show on the Sports History Network. As a conversation starter, you can email me questions or leave feedback of the show at pigskintailspodcast at gmail.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Once again, thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales Podcast. Last time on the Pigskin Tales Podcast, I talked about how Mr. LeClaire performed in college and the pros. He played professional football for 14 years with the Cincinnati Bengals and New Jersey Generals. He was considered one of the 50 greatest Bengals in franchise history. His toughness, grit, determination, and leadership ultimately landed him a head coaching job at Mayville State University in Mayville, North Dakota. This time on the Pigskin Tales podcast, I interviewed Mr. LeClaire's eldest daughter, Kelly. She and I have a special relationship going back to 2011 when I was attending Mayville State for teaching elementary age kids. In this interview, she shared a unique perspective of growing up with a dad who was highly respected in the NFL in the 1970s. This is Pigskin Tales.
Today we're talking with Kelly LeClaire Auden. She's Jim LeClaire's eldest daughter. Thanks for being here today, Kelly. I really appreciate that. For sure. The thing that really triggered me into wanting to interview you was, I think it was when you were talking with um, Kevin Wallavan of WDAY Channel 6 News in Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah, sure. And then Nikki and I got to talking about your dad, and, and we were like, who's this guy that used to be in the NFL that it was from Mayville? And it's like, Wh- what? I. Yeah. Who is this guy? So you, so you didn't realize that connection? No, I had no idea, no clue that your dad was uh, not only a football coach at Mayville State, but then was in the NFL, and like, yeah, had no clue. Yeah, he was also in the USFL. I don't know. I don't know if you remember the United States Football League. So he played for Donald Trump's team. So Donald Trump was his boss. And he played for the New Jersey Generals, so we would literally go to the Trump Towers every Saturday. And <laughs> yeah, because my father was a um, he was a captain and that, and so Donald Trump was always he was incredibly hands on and always wanted to ensure like that the morale of the team was incredibly high. So he was very, very, very connected to what was the feeling, what was the collaboration, how did that look, and how was that going to affect wins and all that. So, Oh my gosh, I, yeah, no idea. I, I mean, just the little bit of research that I did, and obviously, you know, you guys taught us that we can't trust Wikipedia, but that's where I got a whole... Yeah, I know, one of the Wikipedia says he has four kids, he doesn't, he has three. <laughs> I'm like, if we have a fourth child out there, I'm not sure who they are. <laughs> so, um... That's funny. Yeah, and then when um, this guy named Jeremy, he went to high school in uh, Laramore, and he was talking about your brother Andrew, and then um, like I just that was very interesting to me too because, um, well, I knew so when I went to high school in Colfax in the mid '90s, and your brother had just graduated, but I had heard so many things about that Mayville team oh, was um, yeah. yeah and and the craft kids like there yeah. was no way that anybody was going to be able to beat them yeah it was crazy it was crazy and back to Hillsborough Banner had just put out an article and you kind of forget but just that team alone one gentleman Chuck Claybo he went and played for the Cleveland Browns um, Travis Kraft went and played for the Tar Heels um, Matthew, or not Matthew, my, my brother, Andrew, he went to Kansas and then was drafted to the NFL and then decided that's not what he wanted, went to the Saints. Hmm. And then um, my, um, what else? Oh, then I mean, several played at UND, Mayville State, but all of the individuals went and played in college or beyond professionally or both. So, yeah, so it's just so, like, there was a pretty freaky, talented group of yeah. uh, individuals. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of crazy, but yeah, so you ask me whatever you want to ask me. Okay. Yeah. One thing that we have in common is that we both sell insurance, so how did your dad get into yeah. the insurance business? Yeah, and do you know what? How did he get into the insurance business? He got, um, I'm not even exactly positive, to be quite honest. He, um, he first initially, after he retired, and that obviously went 
with coaching and athletics, those types of things. And then I don't know if you remember, like for pre for peer acceleration. So for peer acceleration, it was before like Stanford acceleration and all of that. Um, he, John for peer, anyways, was the gentleman that started all of that. And then my father was the vice president of that company. But when they decided to get out of that, they sold that then to like Stanford Health and those kinds of places. Um, yeah, he just got into it. I don't even know how. He loved investing. He likes money. He likes all that kind of thing. So he just kind of got into that different parts and just another way to communicate with people and work with people and, and that kind of thing. But huh. I don't know the specific path and how that worked. Okay. Yeah, so for me, it was just like I wanted to do something different other than Hugo's. Like, sure. yeah. I don't know. I mean, there was some drama, too, at that store, and I don't know what really it is with that particular store, but there's two areas of the store that struggle all the time, and it's probably been like that for who knows, honestly. But then I think part of it, too, was, you know, when COVID hit, we lost people, and then... It's like a teenager type of job, and so it seems like the kids, they kind of want to work, but they kind of don't, so then it's <laughs> like... like money, but... <laughs> right, and then it's like, now I have to go and fill in for them, but I've got my own frozen managerial duties that I need to do, you right. know, and so yeah. a lot of that got kind of frustrating towards the end that I decided to just find something else. Yeah, you yeah, know, totally so, yeah. And Andrew was the one uh, guy that actually gave me a chance to, I guess you could say, give me my first big boy job. Yeah, that's awesome, though. That's <laughs> so, fantastic. so yeah, and um, I'm really coming into my own because I know when I first started it, Andrew was like, well, you know, it's totally different than what you're used to. And you have to be assertive, but you can't, there's a kind of a fine line there that you don't want to cross because you don't want to make people mad. And um, because this is, you know, you're trying to help protect them in a way. And if they don't understand, well, I guess, you know, he said he tried to correlate it to when I was going for teaching. You know, you have to educate the prospect and say, okay, well, because you have this low liability it's better to have higher liability so you're not stuck paying out of pocket if you get into an accident right so i have learned probably so much more um for teaching yeah exactly no i get it but every situation you're always learning right right so question two is what was it that lured him to uh, mayville and what truly lured him to Mayville truly was he always wanted to be a head coach. He always wanted to coach. And truly his real big goal for coaching was to help any young man that was out there to say that you have a chance. Like, you can get out of wherever you're at. You have a chance. So he um, also, when he was at Mayville, he recruited from all over the place. Like So he brought gentlemen in from the islands of Samoa. He brought um, guys in from Miami. He brought guys in from all over the place, which was um, a little bit different and outside the box thinking for our Mabel State University yeah. in that regard. But his whole goal always, like he always wanted to either, and he also did have a farm. He had a, he had a dairy farm always, 
that he had a herdsman run, but his whole goal was to work with troubled youth or troubled um, young men and women and that, and he believed in hard work. And so if you work hard, you're going to find a purpose. And, and that was kind of, that wasn't kind of, that was his philosophy. And kind of where all of that were there, or evening events for the individuals that were there, there were kids there that were 12 years old, 10 years old, and they were going through rehab already at that young age. It was just so impressionable on all of us, of course. Always wanted to ensure that he was um, helping others and helping those. So he saw also being a coach as a way to empower young men, is really what he wanted to do. Empower them and help them to own what their skills were and show that they have some real self-worth. But um, that sounds cozy and comfy, but he wasn't a cozy and comfy person. He was very demanding. So it was through tough love, kind of an item of you screw up, you're done. You know, you disappoint me, it's over. And um, so that, so they, I mean, yes, he was highly respected through all that as well, where a lot of young men wanted that. They wanted that to know that there was a tight line to toe and you're not in charge, he was in charge. <laughs> but it also they produced you know, great athletes and great individuals that went on. One of his players went on and played in the CFL. So from Mabel State, they went to the Canadian Football League and they played for the Bombers. And um, so a couple others did have some different you know, NFL days where they were looked at by recruiters and those kinds of things. So so he was he worked really hard. And then a lot of you know young men, he wanted also to, he was a very strong Christian man. And so that was very important to him. And so he saw it as a way as a young man needed help. We'd always negotiate. Well, if you go to church with my family, so many Sundays in a row, I'll help you go to that football game, you know, that kind of thing. So he would always um, find that as a way family, or had a family that um, needed a role model. <laughs> so either way, but he really saw that as a way to um, really empower, and obviously incredibly knowledge in the area of football. And um, so it highly, highly competitive. So <laughs> all those parts and pieces uh, went together. And with that highly competitive, I did allude to that that WDAY um, interview when I was the state champion. And I'm like, wow, well, we're the state champion. And my dad's like, no, you're not anymore. You were. So here's what we're going to do to be better. So I'm like, no, like I just was. Can we be excited? Yeah, you sure can. But now we need to get to work so we can get better. And uh, that's how we operated with everything. So very high expectations. And you don't mess around. You those are the grindstone at all times. <laughs> oh, geez. So, yeah, it was Jason, um, Jason Dickowitz was his name that went to the CFL. So, do you know what he's doing now? Yes, he lives in Winnipeg. Um, yeah, in fact, we're Facebook friends and we're connected. And uh, he lives in Winnipeg with his wife and children. And they run um, like a health and wellness type of like a workout facility and health and wellness and, and that. And he also works with athletes. Do you know if your dad got recruited to play football at Crookston or did he just say he wanted to go there? Yeah, no, he was recruited. Okay. So my father, but both my mom and dad, they graduated from South St. Paul High School. That's where they were born and raised, in South St. Paul, Minnesota. And my father was an incredible um, high school athlete as well. So he was state athlete of the year, all of that. He was um, uh, just as much of a football player. He was a wrestler also. So he was recruited to come to University of Minnesota Christian for wrestling and for football. So he did both. And that.
competed both for there. But at that time, UMC was only a two-year college at that time. So then that's why he went from UMC. Then then UND recruited him to finish out his eligibility and his football career at UND. Because at that time, um, you could only go for two years. So he used his eligibility there for those two years and then went to UND. Oh, okay. Okay, that's interesting. So I hope I didn't get it wrong then when I said that from Saint South St. Paul, he went to Crookston and then he started taking education classes. And he did, yeah. He okay. started taking education classes at UMB and he, had, he was a physical education major. That was his major. Oh, okay. Uh, Never used it. <laughs> no. But he was happy. That's what he was for a major, so yeah. Okay, and so then that's what he graduated with then. Correct. Let's take a quick break here and hear a word from our sponsor. We here at the Sports History Network are thrilled to work with our sponsors and partners. With their support, we are able to produce great content for you. The other cool thing is most of our sponsors and partners offer discounts to pass along to our fans. So if you go to the website today, you'll find Row 1, Royal Retros, Play Classic, Thrive Fantasy, and Mega Seats. With Row 1, you can save up to 15% in the gallery with the code SHN. The Row 1 gallery includes over 5,200 reproduced sports history prints on a variety of sizes, including wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. The Row 1 shop has thousands more unique items with retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long-sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, as well as shower curtains. Royal Retros is the king of throwbacks. They've got jerseys, shirts, hats, collectibles, and more from the defunct leagues and the teams in those leagues. Play Classic has your sports simulation board games. Just use the code SHN to save 10% off your first order. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. Use the promo code SHN for instant 100% match up to $100. And Mega Seats are tickets with no fees. You can save up to 10% with the code SHN. So there you have it. When you check out the Sponsors and Deals tabs on the Sports History Network website, you'll find plenty of deals to save you some dough. Check it out today! And we're back. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. We're talking with Jim LeClaire's daughter, Kelly. Thanks for being here today, Kelly. I really appreciate that. For sure! Do you remember any stories about his high school playing days? or college or NFL or USFL? For sure. So, of course, his high school career was obviously stories that you hear. Um, so he was an incredible athlete, like I said, and just naturally gifted for one, but also worked incredibly hard. He's from a family of four siblings. And um, so his high school, very, very good. College, obviously, really good. And um, really, I heard more about his college career after he passed away. Because when he passed away, then, Everybody came out of the woodwork and they were messaging or finding us and that and giving their stories and how he affected them or how he interacted with them, those kinds of things. But when my dad was drafted to the NFL, I was one. So that was my whole childhood. So I um, was one until I was 14. And so that was every night. 
yeah, I was a part of all of it. So I went to every game. At that time, um, families, it was frowned upon for families to go to away games. We weren't really invited to come to that. That wasn't really what they wanted. Um, so we went to all the home games. And that, so the away games were, would be considered a distraction, those kinds of things. But home games, they also left for the weekend and stayed in motels. And that, um, so that we wouldn't be a distraction for the weekend. So they'd be ready to play Sunday. Um, but we always went to all the home games. Uh, I would stand outside. I would always go to the locker room, stand outside the locker room all the time, waiting for him to come out. And that was just a part of it all. So I always see people come out of the locker room, like you know, Anthony Munoz, Chris Collinsworth, Kenny Anderson, uh, Max Montoya, Glenn uh, Cameron, Transing I mean, everybody, Archie Griffin. Um, all of them, you know, they'd come out, you know, hey, Kelly, how you doing? You know, hey, baby girl, you know, all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> it was just normal. Like, I ate it all up, loved every second of it. And then whenever my dad was on the sidelines, I was allowed to run down one time and just to stay, hey, you know, how are you? Good job, you're doing it. That kind of stuff. So obviously the older I got, the uh, more, um, yeah, I mean, just I enjoyed it always. I was a part of all of it. So my parents were so so kind to do that. Now, myself as a, a parent, I would think, what the heck? I would have left my kids at home so I could have just hung out with my friends. But um, they, yeah, they brought me everywhere. And I have two brothers. My middle brother is four years younger than me, and my youngest brother Andrew then is seven years younger than me. And um, so I was the oldest. My two brothers stayed home. So through that football career, they were young. You know, it's so, like when we went to the Super Bowl, my youngest brother was three, and he literally slept through the whole thing. Oh. <laughs> so he was whipped. But yeah, I mean, there's all types. It's just, and it's everybody always asks, like, what was it like? You know, that kind of thing. And at the time, that's just like you're an insurance agent, so your children are going to say, my dad's an insurance agent. So my dad was a football player. Like that's what he did. He was a football player. So I didn't see it as something different, and I didn't know it was something different, really. So I didn't know it. I didn't know it was different. I didn't know it was better. But um, I think some of the hard parts of that is, too, is he's my dad, and to others, he's a football player, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I had a um, I had a fifth grade teacher at one school that I had attended, and she handled all that so well. So like we like we do the same thing at our house, even now, too. And I'm sure you do the same thing. If your team isn't doing quite well, you start talking smack about whatever the player is or whoever that player is. So kids would do the same thing. Man, your dad did this. I can't believe that. You know, they, she should have done this way or that way. And I would become incredibly upset. Who's my dad? Like, what are you talking about? And they just saw it as 55, Cincinnati Bengal, linebacker. Like, they just talked about him as that person on the screen. So um, that teacher, her name was Mrs. Wheatley, she came and she invited my dad to come to class. So he could come and talk to the students and talk to everybody, and, just, and he came there as my dad. And um, so it was a way to stay, like, hey, I'm a human being. This is my family. This is how it works. And I wasn't the only child, obviously, there that had a father that was a professional athlete. This is Reds were there. This is my bagel were there. And um, we went to private school all the time and there were other students there that had that same life and that same story and um so yeah so i mean there's tons of stories i could probably go on and on and on but there are tons of stories and, and all i mean so so many positives and so many amazing things and when he played in the usfl too in new jersey 
just being on the East Coast, you're living, you're living in New York, living in New Jersey, living in those places, that's just different than what I had experienced prior as well. And in fact, I was such a pain in the neck, they sent me back to Cincinnati to live with friends. <laughs> so, I, so you could finish out the season, because I was like, oh. oh um, by the time I moved to Vino, that was my 14th move. So that was my 14th time transition. And that, so I'm kind of starting to be a pain in the neck about it all. <laughs> But is there one story in particular that like always sticks out that you always like to tell? Well, there is. There's several, but one that uh, I can think of when we were at the Super Bowl, uh, we were you know, at our seats, found our seats, that kind of thing, and um, O.J. Simpson was sitting right in front of us. And so it was my mom and myself and my two brothers, obviously, and then O.J. Simpson was right in front of my mom. And... Um, he had just tons of people surrounding him, wanting his autograph, that kind of thing. So my mom politely asked him if he would move and find a different place to sit because, you know, she's like, my husband's on the field playing, and I'd like if you could find a different seat so I can see what's happening, what's going on. So, of course, we all uh, joked a little bit. It's not a funny joke in any way, shape, or form, but thinking, oh my gosh, what did you start? And... You would never tell a professional athlete, you move because you're not on the field and my husband is. You know, that kind of thing where she was like, that's not what I think. And that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's all those kinds of things. And then like training camp, I loved going to training camp because obviously that was a time when he was gone a lot. I mean, he was gone a lot anyways, but that was a time where he was gone for extended periods of time. So they would have family days where the families could go and visit and spend time and they'd have a meal for everybody. And a big group of men like that are just as goofy as a big group of elementary kids or a big group of middle schoolers. Or you just think about yourself and when you're all your friends, your besties, your goofballs, right? And yep. you're silly. And so um, there was a kicker and his name is Pat McAnally. And uh, just a goofball, like so, so silly. And he um, walked around everywhere with a, a plastic duck that had rolly wheels as its feet on a leash and he carried he brought it everywhere so myself as a kid was just like why is this grown man you know leading this duck around and that but that's like you would choose to do stuff like that and just be silly and, and just silly silly things they all had you know different jokes with one another and so you got to kind of see some of that camaraderie and, and be a part of that as well and it just also just reminds you that every single one of those individuals is a human being where the media begins to take those individuals and create and make them what they want to make them. But in reality, they are who they are. They are a person. They have family. They have significant others. And, and some handle that better than others handle all that. But um, yeah, so it's just kind of interesting how that works. And uh, yeah, just lots of great friendships throughout all of that too. And also yeah, I suppose, you know, when you really just sit and think about all of that, I could see how that would be, you know. it. Yeah, your dad plays pro football. Sure, there's a lot of people that recognize him, or maybe they don't. Um, you know, but you just saw it as, well, he's my dad. I mean, what else, what else can I say? Exactly. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I, I was yeah. a part of so much, like, I have a lot of memories, and it might be a little bit hard, but, I mean, he was my dad, yeah. I guess. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. 
So. Yeah. No. And yeah, we would go to all kinds. Like he wrestled like the, that's been one of his famous things too. Is he wrestled a bear? So he would bring us like he had me be a part of his world all the time, and which was so I mean awesome and wonderful. And so he was at a sportsman show, and Ken Griffey was also signing autographs, and my dad was signing autographs. So I'd often go with him. They would always have signing like autograph signing different things, whether it's you know at a mall, at a card shop, at a whatever. And that's just that was a a lot of the players did that, and so it was Ken Griffey that played for the Reds, and then my dad, and then Ken Griffey Jr. and myself um, were there as children, and so there was a bear there, and they, Ken Griffey kept saying, why, you're a wrestler, you should wrestle this bear, the bear had never been eaten, so eat him, so he wrestled him. <laughs> I read the article, and I think there was a quote in there, he said something about how that the bear's breath was the worst that he ever smelled. Yes, and the um, bear was um, declawed, obviously, but he has a tongue, right? Then he pinned him. <laughs> so then he was the person that he... Yeah, so anyways, so just those kinds of stories. I mean, there's tons and tons of stories. And, and really, my dad was all about you know, giving back to communities, so he spent a lot of time in, like, over the Rhine of an area, downtown Cincinnati, and like I said, in um, challenges, those kinds of things, and a lot to give back. So, what was it like growing up with your dad that played in the NFL, and did you ever feel that he was famous? We we already really did answer that by saying, well, I mean, it yeah. just was your dad, so no. Yeah, and then those were reasons why we went to private schools, those types of things. Like my mom had a fear if we didn't have a great Sunday, that people would then maybe do something wonky or weird, that kind of thing. So. Um, yeah, it, it was. Like, you'd go out for supper, and people would always come to your table, those kinds of things. You'd go places, and you'd be surrounded for autographs, and, and that, that that was a norm, too. And that's how it worked. I was very proud of those moments. I always felt like need something special, and yep, I know. <laughs> so, kind of a follow-up question to that. When did you realize that your dad was famous? Yeah, and I think I always knew. I think I always knew because anytime we did go somewhere, people would, you know, hey, how you doing? Oh my gosh, I get my picture with you, you know, that kind of thing. That was always happening. And like after every game, like I said, I, you know, the reason to be on the news quite often. So that was my big goal was to get on TV with them. So <laughs> I would just stick to his side. And anytime people would want his autograph, you know, I would tell the people in the group, to like, this is my dad. And whether he, they wanted to know or not, I just wanted to make it known that, yeah, but no, you always knew that, for sure. And because people would stop and talk, and especially when you go to his hometown, you know, that was a big deal as well, so. Did your dad have any nicknames? Yeah, you know what? He, well, one that I know of, for sure, is at the, when he played for the USFL, he was, he was like the oldest guy on the team. So whatever that, you know, 30-some years old, he's not old, but they called him Father Time. So that was, yeah, they called him Father Time, and uh, just because he was so So, and I was, like, there wasn't very many players that had children, so I was the oldest child, besides Paul Brown's um, like, children, their kids were older than myself a little bit, but a couple years older than my children. So, yeah, so we were kind of, my parents were always, you know, like, looked like they were the older ones, because they, they got married really young. How did your dad become the mayor of Mayville? Yes, well, you 
I'm not really sure why he decided to do that, to be honest. But um, my father is all about fairness and ensuring that he's very black. He was very black and white. It wasn't like, oh, I kind of see your point. Oh, see right or wrong. Like, it's not so great. Um, so I think he wanted to be a part of all of that and just just wanted to be a part of the politics world. Let's try it out and see what it's like. And so he did do one term as a mayor, and then he moved on to other things. And, um, yeah, or he just actually just kept on with the insurance business and that kind of thing. And dementia became a part of our life quite early. So, um, yeah, so he did do that one term and went through it, did it. Lots of rigmarole to go with it, but I think it's just something he wanted to try out, just something to see. He liked, if he liked anything with the role of leadership, so he liked to be in leadership type roles, and then like to be his own boss, like to, you know, do those kinds of items. I think when you talk back to insurance, I think that kind of was part of that as well, where you really can make your own business and make your own stamp, and what will that look like, and you can build your own. Question 10 was, how did Mayville do when he coached, but... I think I've already answered that again in my second episode, my follow-up episode, which, uh, again, I got the stats from Wikipedia, and for yeah. those three seasons, uh, the team was 6-21. and 21. Yeah, so it wasn't a great record, but what happened after that, when he, re- he left Mabel, um, it was all of his recruits then that were that one that after Anyways, that's when they won the, um, their divisional championship game, and that's one that they celebrate all the time. So it was his recruits and that that were a part of that. Always been a money issue with Mayo State of, you know, like financing of scholarships and how's that going to work and, you know, getting players to come and competing with much bigger schools to get players to come that have more money to offer, all of that kind of thing. So when he left Mayo State, that's when he was, got into the acceleration business for um, helping athletes make it to the next level, so. Okay, well, that's all the questions I have. Beautiful. This was just a really fun conversation, honestly, and it's so much different than I'm used to. And the thing, again, that just got me was the fact that it's kind of a local connection that I had no clue about this man that was a football star and then you know her his daughter ends up becoming my teacher yeah, exactly so, that funny? Um, well yeah the next time you go to the Alaris, they have that big um like a mural on the, on the wall they have a big my dad that my dad's faces in that so have a look and then he's at he's in UNC's hall of fame he's also in UNC's hall of fame he's also in the national um college football hall of fame in atlanta georgia so he was inducted into that night the fall of 99 was oh okay and so yeah, he's the National College Football Hall of Fame as well, so kind of cool. And then he's, um, most, te- I think all teams have a ring of honor. Is he, he's a part of that yeah. too? So he is a part of the top 50 best of all time, and that's on my Facebook page when I have my arms in the air. So I went there to present him, uh, or represent him, excuse me. I went there to represent him. He wasn't able to travel at that time. Um, he lost his ability to speak quite early on, and then, yeah, so it would have just been difficult for him to travel, so my brother, my youngest brother, Andrew, and myself, and my son, and Andrew's son, the four of us went down, but I was the one that was able to be on the football field. My brother Andrew doesn't like that kind, like, he doesn't want 
all that attention and all that kind of thing and to be out there and I'm like, pick me, pick me. <laughs> so I did all that and got to represent him and I was the only female daughter that represented their father. Huh. Um, if they had passed, were chosen, so that was kind of cool. So yeah. yes, my dad, my dad is a top 50 and in the stadium, they have like larger than life, huge, huge blowups of um, every person that's in that top 15. And so when you go in through the one gate to bring your ticket in, my dad's hanging above that. And it's uh, the picture, that famous picture that's been in Sports Illustrated of the Super Bowl 16, where it's he and um, then the 49ers players' legs are in the air. They schmucked them, so <laughs> pretty darn good. But that's the play, that's the play, and that's the, the photo that's hanging up there. It's like... I, it's huge. It's, it's pretty cool. That is awesome. I just yeah, uh, super cool. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what what else? How else do you explain it? I guess you know. This yeah. is like the first time I went to the Viking Stadium, and I was in awe of everything. And yes. then I, you know, when I went to the Twins Stadium, and you know, you look out on a concourse, and you look at the skyline. And it's like, am I really in Minneapolis? This doesn't look like Minneapolis. So, (laughs) but uh, yeah, this whole thing is just so cool. Thanks for being here today, Kelly. I really appreciate that. For sure. Yeah. Well, that's fun. It was fun. Thanks for reaching out. That was fun. So yeah, it was a fun football season. So it was kind of fun to reminisce and kind of relive a little bit. Made them feel alive again. So yeah, yeah, that was a ton of fun. So yeah. Okay, thank you so much. All right, yes, thanks so much, Rash. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the podcast on multiple streaming providers such as Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, subscribe to the show on the Sports History Network. As a conversation starter, you can email me questions or leave feedback of the show at pigskintailspodcast at gmail.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Once again, thanks for listening to the Big Skin Tales Podcast. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.